0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Joe Gavallis with uh, the Safe Senior Hour. I hope you all are safe and healthy. And uh, today we really have a very uh, exciting show, I think, and very informative. We have two guests that uh, are are come from uh, from a background. Uh, dealing with long term care and we're going to be discussing that today and uh remember that as we discuss things on the on the show that elder abuse doesn't report itself, and we talk about elder abuse being physical, financial, and institutional and uh we'll give out a few few issues and tips today on the financial matters but uh but we're going to kind of gear in today on institutional issues, not just abuse. And and with that, we have two um, two guests. One, and we're very thankful, and uh, uh, Lori, I, it's Lori Smetanka. S- S- Is that how you pronounce it, Lori? Yes, Smetanka. Smetanka. Okay, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um, and you're the Executive Director of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care which is the leading national nonprofit advocacy organization representing consumers receiving long-term care and services in nursing homes, assisted living facilities, and home and com- community-based settings. That's a long explanation, but people need to know that. And then our other guest has is, is been a guest here before is the national president of the National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Programs. That's Melanie McNeil who's also the uh, state ombudsman here in Georgia. And I want to thank you both for being on. I think we'll have a a very, very uh, interesting discussion today. And, and again, both of you, thank you for taking the time to be on.
2: Thank you for inviting us.
1: Well, uh, that's good. And if we could just start off with, um, uh, Lori, if you could just give some people some just background of yourself and background of your organization before we... Get into some um, some of the meat of the issues.
2: Sure, happy to do that. As Joe said, we are the national consumer voice for quality long-term care, and we're we've been around for about forty-five years now. Our organization was founded in the nineteen seventies as a result of concern about abuses that were happening in nursing homes um, about the lack of um, enforcement, the lack of standards that existed in nursing homes at that time. And we are a consumer-focused organization, which means that we work with and on behalf of people receiving long-term care and services, both in congregate settings like nursing homes and assisted living facilities, as well as people receiving care in their homes. And our our emphasis is to focus on um, ensuring quality care to help people understand um, what their rights are to help empower them so that they can advocate for themselves. This is
3: Professor Robert Gastino and resources and The show is facts um, to, matter for consumers for family uh, today members. Today and caregivers to, uh, and
2: um, advocates talk. and advocates to help ensure quality care for the individual. Um, we have residents and family members that are part of our leadership teams, and we take direction um, directly from them to focus on what the issues are that are most important to them. We work in a number of different ways. We advocate for public policies that support quality care and quality of life. Um, As I mentioned, we empower and educate consumers. We train and support people in groups about what long-term care services are and what their rights are, and we promote the critical role of direct care workers in the workforce and focus on best practices.
1: Well, I tell you, that's it's very, uh, very significant uh, issues that what you do, and and we appreciate it um, uh, totally what you do. And and Melanie, if you could just remind uh, our listeners uh, um, of what your organization does and what the Ombudsman's program does.
4: Hey, Joe. I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you, but just as a reminder to your listeners, the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program advocates on behalf of residents of long-term care facilities, whether it's nursing homes or personal care homes or assisted living or what some states call boarding care. Every state has a Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program. Every state has a state Long-Term Care Ombudsman. We are really grateful for the Consumer Voice because, Frequently, it's a consumer voice who is leading the charge for policy change, and they um, advocate with, with the ombudsman program, with us, they consult with us as we are trying to recommend changes. So they are able to amplify our voice and also provide, you know, training and other opportunities for ombudsman to improve our services.
1: Okay. I'm going to throw this out, which, whichever one of you want to answer is what are just common names of these long term care uh, for our listeners long term care homes what 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 are the things that are just commonly known as
2: Uh-huh
1: mm-hmm. So
2: um well so we have nursing homes which i think is um, a name that most people are familiar with right. but then there are other settings of um, long term care facilities as well and some of the common names include assisted living Board and care, personal care homes—they're called different things in different states—that um, that are below the nursing home level, um, but they all provide some level of service and care to individuals that need services.
1: Now, now for both of you, yes, and, and, go ahead. Joe, could I just sure. Add, sure. So
4: the guidance that we have received about not visiting nursing homes also extends to those other types of facilities that Lori just mentioned, so board and care, personal care, assisted living, everyone is concerned about the residents who live in those facilities are usually disabled in some way or need special assistance. Most people are older adults, and so we are very mindful of everyone in long-term care, especially right now.
1: Right, And, and for both of you, just give me an idea for our listeners what generally is this universe of people who are in the in these long-term care uh, facilities or homes and uh, because everybody what I understand unless I guess there might be some states there's an ex- exception very few that everybody is is prohibited from going in these if you're not a resident you just can't walk in and visit your loved ones or go talk to the staff is that correct? So that
2: is correct. Um, while we're in this crisis situation right. of the coronavirus um, and the way that it transmits from person to person, the people that are living in these different facilities, they're very vulnerable, obviously, to contracting the disease. And if they do contract it, it's been shown to be uh, very serious and in many cases deadly for um, for this population. And so one of the ways to um, protect people is to limit exposure to, um, to non-essential healthcare workers. And what that has meant is that um, unfortunately many families and friends have been unable to go in and visit the individuals in the facilities. Um, that obviously has um, been very concerning for um, family members as well as the residents, um, not only. Um is their concern about the isolation and, and the lack of being able to connect and communicate with their loved one, and, and but also to oversee the care that they're getting. Uh, many family members provide additional supports to people living in long-term care facilities. Um, for example, they often will help feed them or help with personal care. Um, So um, there's a lot of concern about um, people not being allowed in right now, um, but it's being done um, as a means to try to protect the residents. And um, we are certainly encouraging that there be uh, real efforts made on the part of the facilities to help the residents and the family members communicate um, while the people are not able to go in and visit.
1: Well, I I think what's really also significant is what uh, Melanie and I discussed. Melanie is... Are your uh, representatives uh, able to go into these these uh, assistant living, I mean, the long-term care homes?
4: Uh, Joe, I didn't hear your question very well, but I think what you were asking is to what extent we're able to go into facilities, our Ombudsman representatives, and right now we are not visiting residents except in very extreme circumstances and we haven't really had very many of those A part of the reason is to protect the residents in case we should carry something in and similarly so that we don't carry something out but having said that we are finding that because we aren't in the facility we're not really reaching residents like we ordinarily would so our ombudsman representatives may know some residents who have cell phones and are willing to talk to us, but in a facility that has 100 or 200 residents, we're only talking to one or two, and so we're not really getting the sense of what issues are, are ongoing in a facility. Aside from the COVID situation, you know, other, other problems occur and, and continue to occur that need ombudsman representative assistance but we are not hearing about them because of communication issues
1: right Lori, do you have what's your thoughts on that what do you see um and from your from your point of view
2: um sure joe i'm also having trouble hearing you um you're very very faint so um But I think that it's very concerning um, that that there have not been public eyes on uh, what's going on in in facilities. Um, Certainly, um, there are a number of other issues that are... Um, going on there which where people need supports, they need advocacy services um, so we really have been um, advocating for better communication not only but with residents and families but opportunities to engage with ombudsman in um, meaningful ways as well um, that facilities you know should be proactively supporting residents who um who may be having issues or for whom the ombudsman could be providing some additional support. And also, you know, families that have concerns, um, we think, should be reaching out directly to ombudsman if, if they're having um, concerns or issues about what's going on in the facility.
1: Right,
4: well, I so let me just piggyback on sure. that, too. In order to find, for your listeners, to find ombudsman representatives in their state, you can go to the National Association of State Long Term Care Ombudsman Programs website when it's just NASOP N A S O P dot org, and you'll see on the landing page a place to find your ombudsman. It actually takes you to the National Ombudsman Resource Center, but you can click on your state and find your state ombudsman, and the state ombudsman can then assist families to get through the. Bucsman representative that serves residents of a particular facility, and then they can help to intervene with whatever the concern might be. So what happens sometimes, too, in long-term care facilities, residents may not want to share the complaints they have, even with their family members, but they might share it with their resident council president. Every nursing home, anyway, has a, or should have, resident council but what happens right now, because residents are even isolated from each other, they're not as able to tell the resident council president or even, you know, someone down the hall who might be willing to help them that, you know, that everybody's isolated. So it's just not so easy to share those concerns. So in some states I think the complaints have gone up because residents and families are reaching out to the ombudsman program but in some states i think it's probably the opposite that residents aren't able to make their complaints known to the ombudsman program or to their resident council president and maybe even reluctant to share with their family because nobody can come in and help so it's a real dilemma for all of us who are concerned about long-term care residents
1: all right, let me, I asked before, and then I, I, I kind of combined it with another question. Um, can you all give me an estimate of how many people are in a long-term care uh, home or facilities, just roughly, uh, in the United States? There are about
2: 1.3 or 4 million people living in nursing homes. Oh. Um, across the country, and another million or so people that are living in the assisted living or board and care type of facilities. So there's a significant number of people that are living in these long-term care facilities um, for whom care is being provided. Um, A number of them have um, very significant care needs. They need a lot of help with what we call activities of daily living, and about half or more have some level of dementia that they're living with. Well, Lori, and, Lori, um, let me get um, some significant supports, Lori, um, as they live with dementia.
1: Lori, lives us um, didn't mean to interrupt, but we're going to have to take a break here from our first segment, and and we'll go in in a little more detail about this uh, situation and some uh, other situations that uh, the government now is trying to uh, rectify here. So with that, that ends our first segment of the Safe uh, Senior Hour.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Well, welcome back to the second segment of the Safe Senior Hour. Uh, Remember, uh, elder abuse doesn't report itself. We're very honored today to have two guests, uh, both uh, uh, that are concerned with um, long-term care uh, homes and and, uh, people uh, who are, I just heard that are about 2 million or so people in the United States are in some form of long-term care. And one is uh, is Lori uh, Smithanka, who is the Executive Director of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. And the other uh, person on the line with us is Melanie McNeil, the National President of the State Long-Term Care Ombudsman's Programs. And I, and I want to thank you all very much and, uh, and appreciate it. I, um, I, I think this uh, coronavirus has certainly caused a lot of people concern and certainly a lot of concern for people in the, in the long-term care homes. Uh, with that, I believe there was just an uh, a, um, order that came out this weekend from the government concerning um, uh, some new rules about uh, reporting. Does, uh, would any of you like to address that?
2: I'm sorry, could you repeat the question, Joe? Yeah,
1: right. There was a new, there were some new rules put out by CMS, uh, announces new requirements for reporting confirmed cases in, uh, in, uh, nursing care centers. Yes.
2: Yes, that's uh, uh, the new um, guidance came out last night from CMS requiring nursing homes now to report the numbers of COVID cases to the directly to the Centers for Disease Control. This is an important new requirement. It's um, certainly we have been advocating for more transparency of information with respect to the number of cases or suspected cases in a facility um, that both of residents and staff that have been affected by the COVID-19 cases. Um, We think this is an important step forward um, in the sense of needing to report um, because it's important that we get the as accurate of data as possible in terms of the number of residents and staff that are affected. Um, But I think we um, we would encourage um even more reporting um to be uh to be done certainly this rule is important for reporting to the cdc it's requiring the nursing homes also to make sure that residents and families are made aware of when uh, cases are identified in facilities we think it needs to go a step further and um also have that information be available publicly Um, not just to the CDC and to residents and families. We think the public should know when cases exist in um, a long-term care facility. It's a way to help um, not only inform the public about um, where the hotspots are in their areas, but also to help direct um, the help and the resources that are necessary to a particular facility. Um, And we also think that, um, that the, Uh, the guidance should uh, go further and um, require reporting of um, the deaths in in a nursing home um, related to COVID and and non-COVID cases. I think it's important that we have that data moving forward so that um, as we um, not only channel the resources into facilities during this crisis, but even afterwards, we have a better picture of uh, what occurred during this time in the facilities and what we can do to focus resources to make things better moving forward.
1: Well, I, I think that's that's absolutely necessary, and I couldn't concur with you more. I think that's absolutely where we have to go, and especially in this time, everyone, the families, everybody, the public needs to know, and not people's names. I've been hearing on TV, oh, well, it's a could be a HIPAA violation or something. to give out numbers and and uh, and and staff that's been numbers of staff that have been affected or or residents I I, you know I'm not not a lawyer but I would not think that that you know I guess you could make some case it would affect TIPA, but I it's hard for me to believe in this time when the loved ones have never spoken to their to their people that are in the care of these nursing homes for how many weeks now? We're going on six weeks in some places. It's it's uh, it's it's unbelievable. Um, Melanie, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, Joe, I
4: did just want to add that that guidance from CMS is for nursing homes.
1: Right. The working
4: uh-huh. care homes, the assisted living, personal care homes, they are not under the auspices of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. I think their organizations are urging similar reporting just so that we all know what's, what's happening in, in the facilities where long-term care residents are. It's also important for the public to know, not just, because, not just because we want to know where the hot spots are, but think about how many people you might know in a long-term care facility. They're not your family member, and yet you care about them. Similarly, just as a community, as a world community, we're concerned about everyone. And so being more transparent and sharing that information just helps us all to know who's being affected and and how can we, as Lori was saying, how can we redirect resources to the places that need them the most. So it's very important that those other long-term care facilities also report and that that reporting is public.
1: I I, I agree. And and Lori, and I think Melanie will agree. The the governor in Georgia uh, has the National Guard going into, I guess, nursing homes and uh, system living homes. And actually, I I think uh, um, Melanie, or is it basically in there? You know, disinfecting or 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 doing just some major cleanup in those homes. And I was wondering, is this going on anyplace else? Is anybody aware of it? Uh, and what are your thoughts about that, using the National Guard to go in these places?
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. So
4: let, let me respond first, and then I'll, I'll toss it over to Lauren. Here in Georgia, the governor deployed National Guard teams to go into nursing homes. And what we have heard is that the residents are welcoming the National Guard coming mm-hmm. in to do that cleaning and they are also, in some instances, helping facilities to review their infection control and making sure that they're following the infection control requirements. I'm not aware whether the, whether the National Guard is going into the other types of long-term care, but I do know here in Georgia they've been deployed to the nursing homes. And so I think that's a really good idea. I don't know whether that's occurring across the country. And, Lori, I don't know whether you know or not.
2: I don't think it's universally happening across the country. Um, I I think there's maybe one other state where I've heard that um, the National Guard was being activated to assist in long-term care facilities, and we're fully supportive of that. Uh, We've been calling for states to develop um, what they're calling either rapid response teams or strike teams, essentially emergency Preparedness types of teams that can focus uh, resources where they're needed um, and and support the long term care facilities as um, with additional help, um, including with the National Guard. Um, we think that these facilities really need help right now. They need help reviewing their infection control practices. What we know is that even before we were in this worldwide crisis, infection control issues were the highest cited problems in nursing homes across the country, wow. um, and it's an area that even recently with focused infection control surveys that have been done by CMS continue to um, be problematic in a number of facilities, and so there is really um, a great need for targeted support to review the infection control practices, to train staff Um, as best as possible and to um, get additional supports in there to help with resident care um, for those who are certified to provide that level of care to help assist the facilities in um, ensuring that um, they are um, disinfected and cleaned properly um, to assist them in um, whatever additional services it is that they need to provide the care for the residents and stop the spread of this virus.
1: Well, I, I think it's a. It's it, it certainly has been very positive here in Georgia, and it'll be interesting to see. Would you happen to know what that other state was off the top of your head, or I'll have to check on um, it. I,
2: I don't want to misspeak which sure. state it was. Um, I, I think it was one of the New England states. Um, okay, but I'm going to have to go back and double check that.
1: No, I, I think that's that's interesting, and I think that that it's a. Um, it's it's a unique way to 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 help you know the the our residents and when you when you when when you gave gave me the numbers it's just hard to believe there's two million people who are who are used to having loved ones or their family in a in a in a communication with them normally and they're just basically just alone i mean other than the people in the in the facilities and so I, I I think this is a, a very unique problem, and it's something I, I really appreciate, Lori, your your effort, and of course Melanie, the ombudsman's efforts, to to, to make this a, a as as bearable as possible for families and loved ones. It's a uh, it is just a horrible situation for many people, but for people in these in these in these facilities, it's. Uh, uh, it's got it's got to be uh, a real trying experience and um, uh, i i, I w- we mentioned it earlier is there do the do people in these homes do they have phones or does it depend on what facility i mean what kind of communication do they have normally other than somebody walking in and seeing them
2: uh-huh so there are um, facilities um, need to make available um, resources like phones for residents to call out for family to families or to other loved ones. Um, there are um, a number of residents who have access to their own phones or computers or tablets right. um, in order to assist with outreach, but unfortunately, it's not the majority of them, um, and so there um, but there is a requirement that the facility you know help the residents to connect with people if, if they need a phone that they should have one available for them um, and in fact CMS is, really pushing facilities to um, support the efforts to um, engage with resi- with family members, with friends through either using phones, through using tablets, um, video chat or video conferencing. Um, and there are a number of facilities that are doing a really good job with that. We've been hearing examples of a facility that um, has been setting up times with every resident and family member Um, to have like a specific time where they can call and and communicate with their loved one um, or video chat with them. They're taking phones or tablets around to every single resident and helping them call out and and to talk with their loved ones. Um, we need to see much more of that taking place. Um, and then there i mean—there are places where we know where there is a lack of equipment, um, where more is needed, and, and we know that there are efforts being pursued in a number of states to get the equipment into the facilities so that um, there is more access to helping them talk with their family members, to talk with their loved ones. But we're really encouraging that facilities dedicate um, some supports and staff to help residents do that, either um, by redirecting some of the administrative or um, activities staff to help residents uh, or social worker staff, um, in addition to the the important services that they provide, to one of the things they do is is also helping the residents to communicate with their families and their loved
1: ones. I think I can interject. I think that's absolutely a, a, a great move. But with that, we're going to have to end this second segment of the Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis and our two special guests, and we will be back shortly.
3: Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it, and you'll love having one in your shop.
0: Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
2: Live closer to your food source.
4: Learn how to grow it yourself. Please join me every Saturday morning at ten Eastern on America's Homegrown Veggie Show for tips and advice from the country's best gardeners.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.
1: Thank you for listening. Welcome back. By
4: pretty
1: fast, it seems. Yeah. Oh my back. gosh! Yeah. I'm back. Sure. Yeah. Welcome back to the third segment of the safe. Um, uh, senior hour, and uh, today we're we're very honored to have two guests. As we said, one is uh, Lori uh, Smithanka, Smithanka, I'll get it right, the executive yep. director of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long Term Care, and uh, Melanie McNeil, the uh, national president of the National Association of State Long Term Care Ombudsman's Program, and she's also the uh, the uh, the state of Georgia uh, long term uh, ombudsman, and we appreciate you being on. and And before we go into some other issues here, there's a couple of things I think we we need to address here to our listeners. One, I think everybody and even our our, our guests today, we need to give a big thanks for all for the first responders, the healthcare workers the store employees that are out there in the grocery store, the delivery employees that are delivering food to the store so we can get it, the transportation employees that are moving people around. You know, we really appreciate what you do, and uh, we can't give you enough thanks for what you're doing here. And I think it's very significant. And, and again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, And for our listeners, you know, we're on every Monday 10 to 11, and... If you listen to the Safe Senior Hour, we will try to give you our best information on uh, for the seniors on the coronavirus fraud, scams, and other issues like we're talking about today. So we, we certainly uh, uh, appreciate you all, you all listening. And while we're just talking about the scams, I do have to say that the Department of Justice and the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force and the Safe Senior Hour have been... Uh, have been uh, uh, working together to put out uh, just some guidelines for all our listeners, not only here but all over the country. And uh, and here's what the Department of Justice are asking us to put out: uh, Hang up on robocalls. Scammers are using illegal robocalls to pitch everything from scam uh, coronavirus treatments to work-at-home schemes. Verify your information. Contact trusted sources to confirm information is correct. And it says, for the most important up-to-date information about coronavirus, visit the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention at www.cdc.gov. And uh, know who you're buying from. You know, when people just call in, if you don't know who they are, be careful here. Because a lot of times they claim they have products and they don't. Don't click on sources you don't know. You could be downloading viruses into your com- uh, computer. And do your homework. Don't let anyone rush you into making a donation. If someone wants a donation in cash by gift card or wiring by money, don't do it. These are things that are, these people are out there. Do we, do we know they're out there? Yes. And again, you know, the safe senior hour goes not only over the United States, but all over the world. And just some examples, I, I was just trying to just to let everybody know that this is actually happening everywhere. Malaysia reports civil organizations lost money to undelivered face masks that were advertised on Facebook. Um, Kenya had 291 cases of counterfeit masks seized at, at Kenya. Um, Europol, which is a police agency in Europe, Uh, Bust elaborate scams selling non-existent face masks to government and to individuals. So I could go on and on. Um, In London, pharmacists arrested for false claims while selling virus test kits. Remember, as of right now, there is no known cure for the disease. When it comes out, you all will be the first to know, but when somebody calls you, and we had cases reported In the United States, the people going door to door selling uh, uh, or trying to sell uh, coronavirus um, cures. So just be careful. Please be careful out there. So uh, we've got that important information out of the way. So let's go back to our guests. And we were just talking about the um, the communications that were that loved ones in this last six weeks. All depends where you are. Have not been able to have with, with their uh, um, relatives or friends that are in the, these assisted living homes or or um, long term care homes or nursing homes. So, and, and we appreciate everything that you're doing, Lori, and your organization and Melanie to try to try to get more communication. Because if there's one thing we hear from our listeners is. We can't talk to him. I haven't seen my loved one. I haven't talked to them. So, we appreciate it greatly here. So, anything you can do is well uh, will be well accepted by the by the citizens. I, I just, Joe,
4: I did want to follow up on the conversation we were having about communication, right? I just wanted to let your listeners know that in some instances, residents are still having a hard time communicating. And their families are having a hard time communicating with them, too. So although, as Lori mentioned, every facility, every nursing home anyway, is supposed to have a means of communication, a telephone available for residents, often what we're hearing is they have a portable phone, but they can't find it because it's in someone's room, or they have a portable phone, but it hasn't been charged. And so it's very frustrating for families who are trying to reach a loved one who doesn't have a cell phone that they can't get through. What we're also hearing is sometimes the phone just isn't answered. And so family members are calling and calling. Same for our staff. They're calling and calling for communication with the facility, and they're not not being able to get through. So while a lot of facilities are doing what they can, they might even be, be using their personal phones or tablets to help residents reach out to family members, there are still lots of individuals who are cut off from their families because communication just isn't there and so as we look back on this when it's over i'm hoping that we'll all be thinking about ways to be sure that communication especially will be available for residents not just because they have one phone but that we're Uh figuring out ways that everyone should have access
1: Uh laurie what are your thoughts
2: I completely agree with what Melanie said um, while, as I mentioned, there are some places um, that we're hearing where facilities are doing a very good job. Um, there are also some where we're hearing that the residents have not been able to talk with their, with their family member because of either a lack of um, the equipment that's available or the lack of staff help um, that's needed for them to call. And this really does need to be a priority. Um, We know that um, the residents, um, not only are they isolated from their families, as Melanie mentioned earlier, many of them are isolated from each other. Even they're being kept in their rooms um, for the most part Um, and isolation. Um, is a very big issue for um, for everyone, but particularly for long-term care facility residents. And we're um, certainly hearing incidences where um, uh, residents are being affected um, by the isolation that they're um, feeling in a number of cases. And so it's really important that the facilities do whatever they can to keep um, continue to engage them um, and help them connect
1: and communicate with their loved ones. For for both of you, again, if I'm a listener and also I have concerns or I, I really want to get some help or I want to get some answers, do you all have like a 800 number or some way to get in touch with somebody locally or somebody in your organization? If you do, we'd like to put that out on the air to let people clearly in the united states know that there are people and i'm sure there's a number or numbers in the various other countries too that listen to our program but um uh, melanie i know you gave one out and laurie do you have one and and melanie give it out again if you would please
2: Sure. Um, so we, uh, at the Consumer Voice, we have a range of information and resources for residents and family members on what they need to know about how this um, disease is affecting residents, um, what some strategies are that they can use and what they can be advocating for. We also operate the National Long-Term Care Ombudsman Resource Center out of our office and have connections to ombudsman programs across the country. um, And uh, through our website, which is www.theconsumervoice.org, individuals can access not only the information that they need, but um, get the contact information for their ombudsman programs across the country, where they can call for help if they're having concerns either about reaching or contacting their loved one or about any aspect of the care that they're receiving as well.
1: And Melanie, what what was that you had an 800 number I think that people could call to find out who their ombudsman is. Well
2: Joe, for
4: for Georgia for your listeners who are in Georgia our number is 866-552-4464 and then you choose option five, that will route the call to the long-term care ombudsman program for for that caller. And so, again, it's 866-552-4464, and then choose option five. I imagine in the other states they have similar uh, similar. Uh, things on their website, uh, phone numbers on their website, so they can reach them by phone. Or you can probably send an email or even make an inquiry over the web. I know that's how we do it in Georgia. You can use any of those means. And I imagine that in a lot of states, can't say that they all do, but probably in other states they do something similar.
1: Uh Well, a lot of times people have issues. They just want to know where to go, who to call, or where to start. And without getting you know a runaround, and and you know to cut through the bureaucracy of trying to call here and there and everywhere, and then you end up you know with somebody that that if you knew off the beginning would have saved you a half a day of telephone calls. Um, okay. So I, I, I like the idea of a of a some kind of a clearinghouse that somebody can leave a message or whatever it is, and somebody will help them. You know, direct them to the right um, office, right person, or right or suggestion. And sometimes it might be there. I understand, having been a former uh, uh, retired federal agent, sometimes you just can't help people. I get it. But, but at least we're out there trying to talk to people and trying to help them. So I think that's really, uh, that's really a, a significant, uh, a tool that, that, uh, that the, the uh, citizens can use to try to get some kind of explanation or help in, in trying to uh, go through uh, issues dealing with these long term care facilities and uh, and again you know not every time not you're not going to get help every time but at least somebody will listen to you and maybe get you to the person to help you. I think that's uh, I think it's a fair statement.
2: Right. Absolutely. And and people can get um, that information on our website uh, through the Consumer Voice, which is, again, www.theconsumervoice.org. And we can give, it, they'll get information there that they need, as well as the numbers for the ombudsman programs in their state and in their community.
1: That's great. That's great. and And, and we need people to take advantage of it. And I think that's, that's the problem. A lot of people don't know, and, and I know there were supposed to be signs and things up in the different uh, facilities, but when I've talked to some people, they've honestly had never seen the sign or were, were not aware of it. So I, I think the, these educational programs, and the more we educate um, our citizens, the, the better it is. So with that, we're going to take a, our, our break from the third segment, and then we're going to come back for our final segment and go over with our two guests uh, just some uh, suggestions to what to look for other than the uh, coronavirus issues. So with that, we'll take our break from the safe senior hour.
3: Quick Stakes.
4: This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday
2: afternoons.
4: My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you.
0: In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now... Everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your healthcare freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs. 4 Patient Foundation.org, that's www.docs. The number four Patient Care Foundation.org, and make a tax deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the Americas Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody, to the final segment of the uh, Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavalis and Our two guests, uh, uh, Melanie McNeil, the National President of the National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Programs and also the State of Georgia State uh, Long-Term Ombudsman, and Lori uh, Smetanka, the Executive Director of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care, which is the leading national nonprofit advocacy organization representing consumers receiving long-term care. And and uh, and and that would be in things like in, in places like nursing homes, assisted living facilities, and home and com- community-based settings. And and thank you all. It's been very a very interesting program. And and again, I before we we get into our discussions, I do want to give a big thanks out again. I I, I don't think we do, we do it enough to all these people, the first responders. All the health care workers, all the workers that work in, in all these homes, you know, uh, they go up there every day and they go to work. You store employees, delivery employees, transportation employees, this, they, these, are, these are really true heroes out there doing this every day while most of us are at home, uh, you know, uh, sheltering in place or whatever term you want to use. So uh, our big thanks out to them. And remember, we talk elder abuse doesn't report itself, so talk to a professional if you have some issues. And you can always have comments for us on our Facebook page with America's Web Radio or just write to David at americaswebradio.com and leave uh, any kind of comments, suggestions for, uh, for other uh, topics concerning uh, our seniors. So with that, let's go back to to our guests and uh, discuss um, not dealing with the virus, but just everyday things that people should look for, and things that uh, that you all can do to help with uh, anybody's um, loved ones or relatives in a in a uh, long term care home. hmm uh-huh. Joe, if I could,
2: uh, this is Lori. If I sure. if I could. Um, tell people two things uh, that are uh, COVID-related. Sure, go ahead. Very quickly before we get into some of the other issues. One is um, that, uh, again, going to um, your call for support and thank you to those who are first responders and providing the care, we echo that um, tremendously, The, the people that have been providing the care and services. Um, and to the people who've been afflicted by this virus um, really are very heroic and and deserve our support. And what we know is that too many of the frontline healthcare workers and first responders are working without adequate protective supports, protective personal equipment. Um, They're working without the testing kits that they need. And our organization um, issued a call for action um, late last week Um, to really push our governments at the state and the national level to get the um, frontline responders the supports that they need um, to push for the transparency of information that we were talking about earlier. So on our website, you can uh, see uh, the call for action where you can send a letter to the White House, to your congresspeople, um, to... Tell them to um, give adequate supplies to the frontline responders so that they are protected and they can protect the people who've been afflicted.
1: Yeah, and I think those come um, basically through the... Other the other
2: quick if, issue, um, hello, is that related, but also related to the broader issues of abuse and fraud that you were talking about, is um, in one of the stimulus bills that was recently passed by Congress, um, you, you all are aware that um, stimulus payments are being given... Um, to people across the country and many nursing home residents are also eligible for those mm. stimulus payments and um, family members really need to be paying attention to that as well as, as mm. residents. They are for the residents and the care that they're um, being um, to use um, to support them and, and what their needs are. Um, we're hearing in a number of situations across the country that um Long-term care providers are saying that they have um, that they can access and take those stimulus payments um, from the residents, and that is not the case. They um, mm-hmm. are for the residents to uh, use um, as they see fit to um, get the supports or the supplies that they need for themselves. They are not to go to the facilities. Um, They are not to be special payment for the facilities for any purpose. They are for the residents. And another important Mm -hmm. point related to it is that they do not affect an individual's eligibility for medicaid which is um, something that's been very concerning for a number of people it does not affect their eligibility um and it it, they are not to be taken by the facilities for the facility use they're for the residents and their use
1: well i appreciate that i I actually i had had not thought of that and we certainly will try to get that out in a more uh to to, uh to our seniors and everybody around here i just want to say it's just not the federal government local governments are helping to get out the uh, the um, the pre- PPEs, the personal protection, and other things for the um, uh, for, for the caregivers. So you know, we get government working together, we'll be able to do it. With that, I'm just getting that we're going to have to uh, um, move on and end this segment and end this show. I can't thank you two enough, uh, Melanie McNeil and Lori uh, Smetanka, and we appreciate it and hope to have you back. as 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 you all are very enlightening. So with that, I want to thank you. And this ends the safe senior hour with Joe Gavallis, and we'll see you next Monday at 10 to 11. You're
3: listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.